Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This morning, I am going to uh, pick up on a message that I began on Pentecost Sunday. Now, on Pentecost Sunday, I begin to talk about God's pouring out of his spirit and the birth of the church. And the reality of it is, though, as we step into this again, and I had promised that I would come back, share some of my personal experience with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that um, we would revisit this again. But I want to remind us as as a church, we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. Um, Another thing that I think is exceptionally important for you to know is this, if you were in the high church, this Sunday is known as Peter Tide Sunday. By the way, if you don't know it, my name is Peter. And so I thought it was exceptionally important for me to share with you that this is Peter Tide. There's Easter Tide, Peter Tide Sunday in the high church. And that's the day, by the way, in the Anglican church where all young pastors who have been trained and affirmed and and confirmed in their call to become ministers, the, the, the pastors lay hands on them and anoint them to become pastors. That happens on Peter Tide Sunday. By the way, as you know, we have four interns here at City. Our prayer is that inevitably we will have hundreds of them and that my dream My passion is that there would be a Peter Tide Sunday where we would line up a bunch of young individuals who feel the call to pastor churches in the U.S. Because here's why. In 20 years, there will not be enough pastors to pastor churches and churches will close because of a lack of clergy. And I think God wants City Church to play whatever role we can in preventing that because the church is the hope of the world. Now, with that said, there's one other thing that I wanted to make mention of. So this is Peter Tide Sunday. I have a question. How many of you know a Gary? Raise your hand real high. I don't know if you know this, but only 244 babies were named Gary last year. It's true. Gary is actually a name that is evaporating from the English world. I don't know why I share that. Anything other than Peter is a better name than Gary. That's all I wanted to. Now, as we move towards Pentecost, and I'm going to share some of my own personal journey, I want to remind us that last Sunday for Father's Day, I concluded by focusing on Luke chapter 11, verse 13, where Jesus said this, and as men, we stood into God's presence and we prayed this prayer. Jesus said in his teaching on prayer in the gospel of Luke, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That fascinates me. It's a prayer request that Jesus gives us, but many never pray. But what we know is, is that in the first century church, the book of Luke and Acts teaches us this, that it was the power of the Spirit that enabled this ragtag group of disciples to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, what I want us to do is just simply know this, 
that if you were to look in Acts chapter 1, you would discover that Jesus, just before he ascends, he's at a meal with his disciples, and he says, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon you. And he said, you will receive power, and when you do, you will not go and witness, you will be a witness. You will be a witness to Jesus from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, 50 days later, that happens. 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem in the upper room, and the disciples are filled with the Spirit. Let's read it. Acts 2.1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, penta meaning 50, 50 days after the Passover, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Your Bible has a footnote there, and the footnote under tongues says languages. They began to speak in other language as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all, those who are, all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? How would they have known they were Galileans? How they dressed? And their accent, they knew. Then there are 15 different Jewish areas or more that are mentioned in the book of Acts. And then we pick up our reading and it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now on the day of on Pentecost Sunday, I shared with us something that's important to remind us of before we move deeper into this sermon. And that is, is that the Feast of Pentecost was the celebration of the barley harvest, the first harvest, but it was also the commemoration of the giving of the law of Moses. So the Jews had done the math, and they said, well, it took 10 days to leave Egypt under God's guidance and to move towards Mount Sinai. It took 10 days and then the text says that Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. So you have 50 days, Penta, Pentecost. And so the Jews believed that Pentecost was the barley harvest, the celebration of the first harvest commanded in the book of Exodus. But they also believed it was the commemoration of the giving of the law of Moses. The giving of the law of Moses. Now, the reality of it is, if you were to look at what the, what the children of Israel saw and experienced while Moses was on the mountain, the text says there was lightning, there was fire, the earth was shaking, there was this very demonstrative reality of God's presence when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. It's absolutely clear that God is replicating that event in the upper room. It's a replication of it. There's the idea of the violent sound of wind. It's got the sense where the room is shaking, fire comes down, rests on each one of them. And what God is clearly saying is that through Moses, you received the law and that's how you've related to me. But from this moment on, you will relate to me by the power of the spirit. 
It's no longer going to be law. Now, I want to be clear. The Newer Testament is absolutely clear that Jews who were Jesus' followers continued to live as Jews. Read Acts chapter 21. They didn't exit Judaism and suddenly become Christian. They were Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah. They continued to worship in the temple, but they believed that Jesus was the guy that the Older Testament told them was coming. But for those of us who are not Jewish, the day of Pentecost is everything. Because being Jewish meant you were born a Jew. Now the text says that it's for everyone. And that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is something that is we're going to read in just a moment is for everyone. Now here's another thing that God does on the day of Pentecost. For those of you who've read the Bible, know some of the Older Testament stories. If you don't, that's fine. But if you know the Older Testament stories, I want you to think about, and this is a question for those of you worshiping online as well as those of you here. What Older Testament story involves language where something changed about language and the people were confused? What is it? Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. The day of Pentecost is the redemption of God's judgment at the Tower of Babel. God again gives language, but this time it brings unity. It brings a collective unity and following of Jesus. So God in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, redeems the judgment that you see at the Tower of Babel by giving language again, but this time, instead of language creating disunity, it says that people understand the language and it brings unity. Now, at the end of that event, there are those who in Acts chapter 2 verse 13 are standing there and go, what does this mean? What a great question. They've got all of these people speaking in languages they've never learned. They know they haven't learned them. And so you've got these people in the crowd going, what does this mean? First of all, here's what it means. There is no God language. You got to catch this. Because a lot of ancient religions, and many times in Judaism, and if you look at Islam, it's Arabic. In Judaism, it's Hebrew. You must learn Hebrew. If you are a Muslim, you must read and speak Arabic. There is a God language. What it's taught to us on the day of Pentecost is that God empowers every language to worship him. Do you catch this? There's no God language. Whatever language you speak, you are welcome into the kingdom. It's key. Now, what Peter does is, Peter gets up and he answers the question, what does this mean? So we're going to pick up our reading in Acts chapter 14, or Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. So picture this, the Holy Spirit has been moving, people are speaking in other tongues, and then in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I, to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Now, this is a direct quotation 
from the prophet Joel from the Older Testament. The prophet Joel, in the spirit, had seen what God would do in the future. Up until the time of Joel, the people that had the spirit of God on them were kings, judges, prophets, and rarely artisans who were building something for God. The Older Testament teach spirit of God would come upon them and empower them and give them what they needed. As a king, oil would be poured on you. There wasn't a crown that was placed on your head. There was oil poured over you as a sign of the spirit that was enduing you with power by coming upon you in order to do the thing God's calling you to do. But what we discover here is, is that the text says, and the prophet Joel saw a day where everyone would have the spirit, not just the leaders. Got to catch this. So picking up our reading, um, this is the quotation from the prophet Joel, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on, what are the next two words? Is you a people? That's you and me. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Something that primarily the prophets had done. Now all of a sudden, young people, through the power of the Spirit, will be used by God at a level that no one could have ever imagined. Reading on it says, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and, what's the next word? Women. In other words, God's spirit had rested upon men primarily. And now what does Joel see? Joel sees a day where the spirit of God is going to use young men, old men, young women. Doesn't matter the gender. God's going to use you for his kingdom through the power of his spirit. Reading on, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and bills of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And the next phrase is thrilling. And everyone, not just those born Jews, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, Joel sees a day and he's looking prophetically into the future where God's spirit will be poured out on all people. Anyone who turns their heart to God, the spirit of God is gonna be poured out on people. Now, the greatest transition from the older to the newer Testament after Jesus Jesus is the word of God incarnate after the sending of Jesus into this world. The greatest transition from Older to Newer Testament is this. In the Older Testament, the Spirit came upon people. Now in the Newer Testament, the Spirit dwells. Massive difference. Huge difference. The Spirit of God would be poured with oil on people. But now the text teaches us, and Paul's teaching is clear, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The same way the Spirit indwelt the temple in the Older Testament, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, now the Spirit of God dwells in every person who says yes to who Jesus is. Every person. 
when we say yes to Jesus and we bow our hearts and put our faith, hope, and trust in him, the spirit of God begins to dwell in us. Here's why this is so critical. You and I do not have the 613 laws of Judaism. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> what you have is a spirit that will direct you and convict you and speak to you and lead and guide your life. The Older Testament law is a map. When you're lost, you want a guide, not a map. You want someone, when you don't know what to do or where to go, you want someone who is with you. How much help is it if you're totally lost and someone just hands you a map and you're in the middle of a forest? What you want is a guide. You want an individual, a person to be with you, and that's the Spirit. The person of the Trinity, the Spirit is with us. Now, what I know is, is whenever a pastor gets up front and starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit, start talking about the day of Pentecost, people really begin to get uneasy. A lot of people do, some don't. But what I want to do is tell you my own faith journey. I want to talk to you honestly and pastorally about what God did in my own heart, in my own life. So I've mentioned before that I was raised on a farm in Wisconsin. My family did not go to church. We just didn't go. If we did, it was the high holy days, and I don't remember any of it. Well, what ends up happening is we're living on this farm, which, by the way, was a pretty isolated life. I was a painful introvert as a young kid. I was introverted. And here we are living on this farm, and out of nowhere, someone tells my mother about Jesus. Now, my mom was born and raised in England. My mom's a Brit. So there's not a huge church background in her life, and when we moved out onto the farm, we never went to church. So my mother begins to attend what was called a charismatic Catholic prayer meeting. It's where nuns and others were gathering together and just praying and seeking God. Well, this was near the middle of what was called the Jesus Movement. And the Jesus Movement started in the late 60s, early 70s, and kind of dissipated just before the 80s hit. It was a time where hippies were coming to faith in Jesus by the hundreds of thousands. It was shocking. Now, picture me. I'm an introverted farm boy, and my mother kind of shows up and says, we're going to church. And my dad says, no, I'm not. My dad's a German engineer. It's probably better he didn't go, and here's why. Because the church was filled with hippies who were getting saved, and hippies were everything he despised, everything. My dad is a German, everything has order, its institution, its hierarchy, everything that hippies stood against. Well, the reality of it is the hippies were sexed out, drugged out, bugged out, rebellioned out, and all of a sudden they were looking for something. And all over the country, even in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin, I don't know why hippies lived in Wisconsin, but there were some, <laughs> and they just began to come to Jesus by the thousands. And we end up at this church where hippies are coming to Jesus. And all I know is I'm nine and 10 years old and I'm sitting in this church and I was smart enough to know that my dad said these people needed changing. And it was happening. 
right before my eyes, where on any given Sunday, a hippie would get up and share their story. What was amazing was the worship there was like sweet home Alabama to the words of amazing grace. It actually works. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It actually works. They were taking rock and roll songs and putting Jesus lyrics and reaching their friends. It was an incredible time. But there was an event at that church that marked me for the rest of my life. It has become so unavoidable for me. And the event was as follows. The pastor of this church gets up and he read the text and began to talk about the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he began to talk and teach on the idea of speaking in tongues, that God wants to endow people with a language which, according to the Apostle Paul, is to edify you. By the way, the word edify means to build a house. So the idea is then God is looking to give a prayer language to people so they can build a spiritual house in which they can live. Now, here's what happens in that church. The pastor gets up and he's giving this teaching, and there's one other thing that you need to know. This church had incredible outreaches, and one of them was every sermon that was preached, there was someone with sign language that sat in a chair up front and would sign the sermon. And therefore, there were tons of deaf, deaf people that were coming to the church. Now, here's my confession, my personal experience. Deaf people when they tried to communicate to me, it was very unsettling for me as a young introverted boy. And in Wisconsin, where it's cold 362 days out of the year, you wear a coat a lot, and in the coat closet, a lot of the deaf people would try to communicate with me. They knew we were new to the church. They were loving on me. It's all, but just for me, it was very unsettling. The slurred speech, I couldn't understand them. It was very overwhelming for me, personally. But in this church, they developed what was called a deaf choir. And the deaf choir would have about 50 deaf individuals who every other week would sing a special for the church. And what they would do is they would turn off all the lights, they would close all the shades or whatever, it would become pitch dark, and 50 deaf individuals would get up on the risers and they would put on white gloves and they would put up a fluorescent light and it was pitch black and they'd start banging out some uh, hymn or a worship song and 50 pair of hands would sign the words in unison. It was absolutely beautiful. I, I can't tell you how beautiful that was. The other thing that I have to tell you I experienced in this church was that from the day I walked in, I felt something I had never felt before, but it goes way beyond feeling. There was something in that church that at the age of nine, I knew was different. I knew it, and I knew that whatever that is had to do with all the life change that was going on around me. And so here I am sitting in this church, the deaf choirs doing their thing. And when all of that's finished, the pastor begins to teach and talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues and the movement of the Spirit. And when he was done with his teaching, he just simply said this. He said, look, he said, uh, don't know where you're at with all of this, but he said, I would just like to pray a prayer and I'd like you to be open to the Spirit of God. Because if Jesus in Luke eleven thirteen said, you're to pray for the Holy Spirit to be in your life. If it's a Jesus prayer, we need to pray this. And so 
people began to pray, and I'm sitting there in the pew, and I heard the deaf people around me speaking in clearly articulated speech. There was zero slurring, zero. It was clearly articulated speech. And I knew as a young boy, that is miraculous. You couldn't teach that. You couldn't train that. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they weren't getting weird. No one was bouncing off the wall. None of that was happening. It was a sovereign move of God where people were being touched by the presence of God. They were responding by speaking in other tongues. Now, the reality of it is, for me, I knew that tongues were real. No one could ever convince me that it's false. No one could ever convince me that tongues weren't for today. It was a life-giving, supernatural move of God, just like Acts chapter 2, identical. Wasn't long after that where I was walking across one of our fields, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I said yes to him. Just like Joel said, there will come a day when anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and I did. And I surrendered my life to Jesus, and he began a transformative work in my heart and in my life. Wasn't long after that, we're just in a private moment of prayer. I know that God gave me a prayer language, and I've prayed it ever since. And I've had friends of mine who've said to me, Pete, you, you speak in tongues? Every day. I do. Every day. And they said, I always thought people that spoke in trunk tongues were creepy. <laughs> and you're just not creepy. It's like there's a problem here. And here's why speaking in that language that God gives us is, is important. It's important because the Apostle Paul says, those that speak in a tongue edify themselves. In other words, it's the building up in a prayer language, and that prayer language builds a spiritual house in our lives and gives us strength. I can tell you as your pastor, I have no clue how I would have made it through. And listen, not every Christian speaks in tongues. I know this. I'm well aware of it. 500 million Christians do. It's a shocking number of people that speak in other languages. But what I can tell you is it's something God gave me, and I'll tell you why. He knows I needed it. He, it was a grace gift. It was a mercy that God gave me this prayer language. And so what I would like us to do very quickly is I would like us to just take a moment in God's presence. And all we're going to do is pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Now, I want to be clear about this. Please know what I'm saying. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Greek word for baptize, baptize in the Holy Spirit, means to be saturated, like a sponge, where it's around you and in you and through you. So don't let anyone say that anyone believes that this is the idea of salvation. It's not. It's clear in the book of Acts. It's a second act of grace. God does. But what I would encourage us all to do is begin, if you're comfortable doing this, if you're not, totally fine. But what I would like for us to do is just simply pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And that is found in Luke eleven thirteen, where Jesus says, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that would ask? 
to those that would ask. I've had a lot of people tell me that one of the things about City is that they've kept coming because they sense God's presence. I've had others and dear friends of mine, and I want to be clear about this too, I have pastor friends who do not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I have served with them. We have unity in Christ. It's never been a divisive issue for me, ever. But what I, th- I believe is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given for every woman and every man that follows Jesus. And so what I want us to do, just as kind of a preemptive baby step towards the Spirit, I'd like us just to pray the prayer that Jesus calls us to pray, and putting feet to our faith is simple. It's just simply praying this prayer if you close your eyes and pray with me. Jesus, if your prayer request in 11.13 of Luke is that we are to pray for the Spirit to be given to us, God, I pray that you would do that. Lord, I also pray over those of us that are here that have not yet surrendered our lives to you. I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that anyone in this moment who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. And then, Lord, I pray for a second act of grace in all of our lives. I pray that you would touch us with your spirit, that we would be baptized, immersed in the spirit. God, I pray over all of us that the gifts of the spirit would be ours Because, Lord, in the culture in which we live, that is becoming more and more Roman, we need your spirit, just like the first century church did. So, God, help us. Give us your spirit. Fill us to overflowing. Immerse us in your spirit. And bless us with those verbal gifts that we need to follow you. Lord, I believe for this. And I pray for this. And I ask for this in the name of Jesus, in Christ's name, in Christ's name. I want to encourage you that in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together as a church family. But I want to encourage you. The text teaches us that we are to hunger for the Spirit. Pray the Jesus prayer often and be open to what it is the Lord wants to do in and through your life.